And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I'm really excited to be spending today's morning show, or at least most of it, with Dr. Joseph Benson, who is Associate Professor of Literatures and Languages at the University of Wisconsin-Parkside, and more to the point, coordinator of UW-Parkside's Foreign Language Series for so many years, nearly four decades, a beautiful jewel in the crown of the cultural landscape of southeastern Wisconsin. And uh, it's been for the last couple of years, I think, that Professor Benson has been the co-coordinator of the foreign film series with Norm Coutier, who uh, has a finally stepped down, uh, and people are sad to uh, see him step down from this position, which he has uh, done such a great job with over these last 39 years. But this current season of foreign films uh, have been, in a sense, uh, co-coordinated by by Norm Coutier and by uh, Professor Benson. And uh, we're going to be talking about that partnership and what's going to be happening uh, going forward from here. But mostly, we're going to be talking about this marvelous array of foreign films, 14 in all, were you saying? Yes. Uh, 14 in all. The first already aired last week. That was uh, the award-winning Drive My Car. And uh, so we're going to be talking about all the films that that remain, uh, that will be running uh, from this weekend all the way uh, through the middle of April. And uh, we'll also talk about the fact that this entire season, unlike last season, uh, is entirely in the Parkside Cinema. So these wonderful foreign films can be enjoyed uh, on the big screen where they always were intended to be. Uh, Professor Joseph Benson, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. Thanks. Great to be here. Glad that we can have this conversation. I think we should probably not go any further without talking about... uh, your distinguished colleague who has just stepped down after 39 years of carefully uh, cultivating and guiding this foreign film series uh, with with such distinction. Tell us, first of all, about uh, your first encounter with Norm Coutier and, and, and how you came to be involved in this foreign film series. Sure. It's kind of an interesting uh, story. Uh, I uh, There was a position that opened at Parkside in my Oh, it must have been my third or fourth year uh, teaching. I've been there 10 years now. Um, And it was for the athletic director, a kind of liaison position between um, athletics uh, at Parkside and faculty. And Norm held that position for a number of years, and he was stepping away uh, from that position to do other things. And and, uh, there was kind of an open call uh, for people, other professors to apply for that position. So I applied, and Norm interviewed me for this. Uh, ath- uh, it's called the FAR Faculty. Uh, I can't think of the acronym, but but um, uh, this you know faculty athletics position. Uh, I did not get that job. Norm did not hire me for that job, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but he liked me enough that uh, a week later, he contacted me and he said, "Hey, I think." You know, you'd be perfect uh, to help me out with uh, the foreign film series. And I think probably Norm at that point uh, realized that he was at the tail end of his career. And I think that he wanted to maybe groom somebody to take over the foreign film series, although I don't think that I realized that at the time. 
But yeah, that was about four or five years ago. And uh, since then, we've been working together and selecting the films. And um, I ran a, a discussion group uh, after a lot of the films for uh, several years. And um, yeah, pretty much working together ever since. And then Norm retired a couple of years ago, but kind of held on uh, the, the you know to the position of foreign film series director, and then finally just recently stepped down completely and allowed me to uh, to take over the directorship. I find it really intriguing that in an interview about this position involving athletics, yeah. that somehow something would have come up in the course of that conversation that would have sparked this uh this idea in his head that oh here's my guy to help with the foreign film series yeah you know uh, although so uh so norm's obviously norm is a uh, economist he was a uh, economics professor and uh if folks don't know that but um he and his one of his um sort of foci was uh, sports economics um so he really focused on kind of the economy of uh, sports in the U.S. And so, um, but he also had this, has this, you know, love of literature or uh, of film, or film and literature. Um, and so, and I'm a big sports fan too. Uh, and I'm also, you know, obviously a literature professor. So I, I think that maybe he saw in me a bit of a kindred spirit, uh. you know, somebody who, you know, uh, has kind of what what may seem like uh, disparate uh, in- interests, but but uh, but actually uh, uh, we uh, we were similar in that in that. So maybe that was it. I'm not sure though. So there were at least a couple of seasons where the two of you chose films together, including this current season. Tell us a little bit about that process by which the two of you would put together these films. I mean that you would you would actually select them what what did that process sort of look like and feel like sure yeah so prior to me coming aboard for you know probably three decades uh, norm uh, worked with another professor who was also an english uh, professor and actually in retrospect maybe norm was looking for an english professor because that's who had worked uh, with him in the past but uh, unfortunately that gentleman um uh, died actually and um and uh so um, they basically had a partnership where, uh, and this is what Norm and I kind of mirrored after after that, um, where basically Norm said, come up with about 30 films, and I'll come up with about 30 films, and we will compare. And, um, uh, and, th- and that's what we did. And, and Norm was much more meticulous in his research and really digging for films. Um, you know, I, I tended to go online and look at different best of lists from really great uh, cinema uh, magazines like Film Comment and mm. Cineast and IndieWire and places like that. And of course, I would draw from the Academy Award nominations and the Golden Globe nom- nominations and and like I said, lots of best of lists. Uh, I have no idea how Norm came up with his. I think he, his was a little bit more uh, mysterious, uh, where where he found uh, his films. But but we would we would compare notes and we would get together and, and um, we would you know look at all you know sixty or so films on the overhead, um, and uh, you know 
Norm sort of has had his finger on the pulse of what the patrons uh, wanted and liked historically and what historically maybe uh, folks uh, wouldn't uh, respond well to types of movies. So, you know, Norm was always, you know, very uh, interested in uh, having as many comedies as possible. Um, He didn't want a lot of really, really dark, violent uh, depressing films because he knows that uh, uh, in the past patrons would respond like, you know, can we get something a little bit more lighthearted? <laughs> you know, so that was a very, uh, very much a concern for him. Uh, we thought a lot about representation. We wanted a wide breadth of voices uh, in countries uh, represented, uh, breadth of, um, you know, women directors, men directors. Um, and then we would kind of just weed out the films. And then as uh, as as the years went by, and you know the streaming on the Netflix streaming and in, in, in these different uh, uh, streaming studios, um, films became very very difficult for us to get the rights to uh, for those types of films. So that 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 was important too. For example, any Netflix film is almost impossible for us to screen because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get those screening rights. Hmm. Um, things so that, that came we, into play. So things that you mean are produced by Netflix or even that are shown on Netflix, it's like they lock up the rights and they just you just can't get at a film like that. Is that what you're saying? Produced, yeah. Produced, yeah. Netflix uh, produced films, which are more and more uh, popular and common uh, in big films. You know, those are very difficult to get the rights to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that 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 factored in our uh, choices uh, uh, as well. Then the final, we would come up with about thirty uh, films, and then we would send those out, a list of those out to the patrons, and they would vote, wow. and they would vote which ones they wanted to see, and then we would try to select uh, around fourteen or so based on vote getters and based on whether we could get the rights, and that's kind of how it went down. Interesting. Just in general. Uh, and you've already mentioned the Netflix thing, but aside from that, how tricky a matter is it in terms of securing rights? And and are we talking about plunking down a fairly significant amount of money just to secure the rights to, 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 to be able to show these films? And is it also a tricky matter in terms of just even figuring out who to contact? Or is that kind of information maybe more readily available than we might assume it is? Well, you know, Norm did a great job in establishing relationships with a lot of different distributors over the years. And so I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails in a email folder um, where Norm just simply CC'd me on the email. And that is what I draw from to, to, uh, to find the contacts. And uh, I mean, that, that figures very prominently in our selections. Um, for example, nine of the 14 films are uh, distributed by a company called Swank, and um, mm. and that and that those happen to be in the top fifteen vote getters from the patrons, and I knew that contact person contacted that you know them and films can range so we've you know we show let me see one two three four six showings uh, a pop could range anywhere from three hundred to a thousand dollars for you know for the for the rights. And then we either, you know, procure the DVD or Blu-ray, or they send us uh, that. Um, and uh, this was this was changed when originally it was shown from a uh, 35 millimeter, you know, uh, and they switched to Blu-ray and DVD. Pretty soon we're going to have to switch again to streaming uh, mm. because 
uh, you know, folks aren't even going to have DVD and uh, Blu-ray discs uh, for us uh, for us to have. So, you know, luckily, uh, Norm left me with a lot of um, great, uh, uh, you know, information with regard to who to contact and stuff like that. But no, that that can be hugely prob- uh, problematic for a film that we want to show. If we can't find the person to contact and we can't get the rights to it, then we can't show it. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with uh, Dr. Joseph Benson, who is a associate professor of literature, literatures and languages at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, and also now coordinator of uh, the foreign film series at uh, at Parkside. And uh, we're about to begin talking about this succession of wonderful foreign films, one after another, that are going to be uh, shown essentially now all the way through the middle of April. The season has already begun with Drive My Car, uh, an Oscar-winning film. Mighty fine way to kick off this uh, this, this current season. Um, before we start talking specifically, when it comes to finding kind of a balance, I suppose one of the things you want to do is make sure we're not seeing seven Korean films and, and, uh, and five from Britain or whatever. I mean, you really want us to get a sense of the whole globe, and yet at the same time, you really want all of these to be really, really first-rate films. Right, and that can be really challenging. Um, And uh, certainly um, it depends on the year. It depends on the films that are available year to year. Ideally, yes, ideally we we totally cover the globe, and that's something that I want to really focus on going forward. Uh, as my sort of um, you know tenure takes place as the directorship, I really want to call on other faculty uh, at uh, Parkside for suggestions for films um, that I, that I may not be uh, aware of to to really try to ensure uh, re- representation. But yeah, there's a lot of challenges with regard to you know getting the rights to the films, uh, making sure that. Um, uh, you know, if there if there aren't films available from you know parts of the world, then you know uh, year to year you just never know. Um, and uh, you know, obviously we have to get the rights. And you know, Norm always he always put the patrons first. Norm Norm did. You know, I think that he looked at the foreign film series as a uh, as a product. And the reason why it was so successful for four uh, four decades and has been is because the patrons come back year to year. You know, Norm never had an agenda with regard mm. to that. His only agenda was offering great films mm. that the patrons would love uh, and that would keep them coming back. You know, mm. as an economist, I think that that was what was most important. <laughs> I think had he had some kind of, um, you know, agenda or, or, or that he was, you know, th- thought that he was somehow providing uh, some kind of uh, – uh, education purpose or had some kind of agenda, they would have smelled that out. Right. I wouldn't like that. So we need to really balance um, finding great films, representation, um, uh, you know, in, in providing a good product that folks will want to come back for. What, in general, we're talking about relatively recent films. Do you have a real kind of strict benchmark in terms of wanting films that are relatively current uh, versus some classic Japanese film from 1948 that just suddenly is finally available? I mean, uh, how how far back do you ever go with the foreign film series? Well, you know, Norm kind of set the precedent and and uh, and I really try to try to kind of, you know, mimic what what he has done. And typically the films will go back just a couple of years. Um 
you know, but he has picked uh, older films uh, to show. Uh, for example, I think uh, uh, he showed uh, Godard's uh, Bre- Breathless at one point and maybe Truffaut's 400 Blows, one of those two, I think. So maybe some classic uh, films. I-, I remember in the last five years that, that uh, just for kicks, he would, he would kind of uh, uh, pull out a, a, an oldie but a goodie. Uh, but generally speaking, by and large, these films are uh, either, you know, just the previous years or maybe two years back. Mm. So as we just said, we uh, the series began last week with the uh, Oscar-winning film Drive My Car. Uh, coming up this weekend is a film from Korea called Minari, which uh, evidently tackles the really uh, important and timely topic of cultural assimilation, what it means to assimilate oneself in, into another uh, culture and, and, and country. Tell us more about Minotti. Yeah, this is a, another uh, well-received uh, film, highly acclaimed, six Academy Award nomination. It won the Golden Globe uh, from director Lee Isaac uh, Chung. And it's kind of described at, well, first of all, it, you know, takes place in the U.S., which is kind of ironic, but it's about a, uh, uh, a family, uh, a Korean family moving from California to Arkansas um, and trying to assimilate. I, I grew up, uh, well, spent a lot of time in Springfield, Missouri, just uh, north of Arkansas. So if anybody hasn't been to Arkansas, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, it probably was a, would be a cultural shock uh, for, uh, for a, a lot of people, uh, let alone a uh, Korean family. But uh, yeah, it's described uh, as a kind of Flannery O'Connor-esque uh, look um, at uh, immigrants uh, assimilating into the U.S. Uh, if you're not familiar with Flannery O'Connor's uh, work, she's a great uh, f- um, uh, woman, uh, a female writer, uh, wrote about uh, the southern uh, U.S., often described as a sort of southern Gothic mm. uh, convention. She was the first woman to graduate from the Iowa Writers workshop uh mm. but uh but great writer and um yeah so it's this uh you know kind of a fish out of water story about a korean family trying to make their way um in rural arkansas um and so it kind of inter- interrogates the american dream and uh, you know who the american dream actually is available for um and uh, you know a lot of these films really interrogate important uh cultural uh topics um, and, and, and often very strange and different and unusual uh, ways. But, uh, but yeah, this one, yeah, highly acclaimed. I don't want to give too much away, um, but, uh, but yeah, going to be going to be a good one. And I think what would be really intriguing is, you know, one can well imagine, and certainly films have been made here in America about this experience. But in in a sense, it would be American filmmakers telling this story to at least some extent through an American lens, even if they bent over backwards to try to make it sensitive to these whoever is come from wherever they've come from. But this is telling this story through the lens of the people who are who have come here. Exactly. I mean, with yeah. their own understanding, uh, that, that does sound exceptionally interesting. Minari, which... Uh, that's tonight already that it right that yep, opens, tonight so. and uh, I'll be there welcoming patrons I wasn't available uh, last uh, weekend because uh, I was in uh, Columbus Ohio for my birthday but I will be uh, welcoming um, uh, uh, all, all, all the patrons uh, this weekend so 
Very good. And uh, so there's uh, screenings tonight and then also tomorrow night and Saturday night. Yeah, one uh, tonight, one tomorrow night, two Saturday, two Sunday. Very good. Uh, in the Parkside Cinema. Uh, then coming up on the 6th of October, this would be, I'm sure, one of the headliners of the season because a lot of people have heard of the film Belfast. Uh, and, and explain the connection between this film and Kenneth Branagh, a name that many people know. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh, you know, I always thought of him as, as the Shakespeare guy, right? He was He's a wonderful uh, director, Irish director, who for many years uh, would make uh, films based on Shakespeare uh, plays. He did a wonderful version um, of uh, Hamlet uh, mm. and uh, other uh, uh, great Shakespeare uh, plays, uh, made films of those, um, and uh, finally did a much more personal uh, film about growing up in Belfast uh, during what's called the Troubles uh, and uh, the kind of the war-torn northern uh, Ireland um, and a lot of the the stuff that went down there in the uh, in the primarily in in the sixties, um, and it's from the point of point of view of a <clears throat> of a uh, child, sort of trying to understand you know in the middle of this of this uh, unrest uh, in Northern Ireland, which was very kind of local in a lot of ways, uh, you know based on um, uh, religion and uh, loyalties. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that we think of like uh, a lot of uh, kind of urban violence and car bombs and, mm. and, and uh, things like that that went down in Northern Ireland. But it's from the point of view of a child and clearly autobiographical um, and a, sort of a child being in the middle of this and kind of not understanding it. Um, but, you know, it's kind of this situational irony, whereas uh, viewers, as consumers of the film, we realize what's going on, but the main character, this uh, child, who's clearly Kenneth Branagh as a, uh, as a child, doesn't really understand. Uh, so it's very poignant um, and funny. And what's odd about these films is when you try to pin down the genre, is this a comedy? Is this a drama? More and more, you you see the blending of genres where you have elements of drama, um, but also comedic elements uh, and uh, elements of loves uh, of uh, love stories. And this is uh, no different. A very very funny, poignant moments, but also full of high drama as well. Very good. Belfast, opening October sixth. Then there's a film from a very different part of the world called Lunana. Uh, and uh, tell us where this film comes from. Bhutan, yeah. South, it's said this uh, kind of remote place in South Asia, a Buddhist uh, country. And this is a film directed by Pao Choining Dorji, uh, also an Academy Award uh, nominee. And this follows a protagonist who, um, kind of by writ of the government, um, uh, has to essentially. Um, uh, provide a certain kind of national service and must go teach in this very remote uh, village. Uh, the, uh, this film is is uh, kind of um, close to my heart because it's all about the wonders of teaching and, mm. the, and the challenges and difficulties therein. But uh, but yeah, this teacher you know uh, has to go kind of serve the 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 the, the country and, and and teach for a period of time in this very remote area. Uh, has very little resources, 
Uh, and, at, and at first uh, finds himself very dejected and wanting to quit, but then sort of becomes much more resourceful, as many teachers around the U.S. must do, um, uh, and figures out a way. Mm. And it's a very uplifting uh, film, like I said, about um, about the highs and lows of teaching, I will say. I love that. Uh, it's one I will have to seek out. And I'm intrigued also about the French film, which follows uh, thereafter in early November. Yeah, two of us, uh, French film, uh, Philippe uh, uh, Menghetti. Uh, this is uh, this was f- uh, film was shortlisted for the for the Academy Award. wasn't ultimately nominated, but uh, this is a really interesting film about two women who uh, are lifelong partners, um, who are in fact in a, um, uh, homosexual women uh, lovers uh, partners. Um, but uh, who aren't really out in the community, right. um, and which is a really kind of an interesting topic, and and kind of really interrogates sexual stereotypes and um, you know uh, uh, notions of love and definitions of love and partnership. Um, but it, it is a in a in a strange way a uh, coming out uh, narrative, um, and, and like I said, really kind of in- interrogates. Um, uh, images of of love and and sexuality, um, and uh, yeah, another important film. I don't I don't want to give away the, <laughs> the 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 hook in the film, but there is something very um, very sad, very touching, um, and very kind of terrible, uh, but ultimately endearing that happens in the film to this couple. It's already intriguing, so even without giving too much away. Uh, certainly the most uh, eye-catching title of all of these films is the next one, a film that comes from Romania, opening on November 17th. Yes, now this is uh, a comedy. Um, like a lot of these films have comedic elements, uh, but yeah, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, a uh, very kind of intriguing title. But uh, yeah, Radu Jude. Um, this is a Romanian film, um, and this 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 basically the premise to this film is that a teacher in a um, uh, kind of a smaller uh, community in Romania uh, creates a sex tape with her husband that is inadvertently uploaded to the internet and accessed by people in the community <laughs> who are, uh, you know, some are aghast and uh, horrified, uh, some perhaps titillated, who knows, but, uh, uh, and, and essentially the, the woman catches uh, heck for it, um, is uh, uh, nearly fired from her job, and this really kind of explores uh, sexism um, in this in this kind of very conservative uh, town. Also, the sort of the dangers of the internet, <laughs> mm. uh, I will say, and uh, and also um, this takes place during COVID, mm. during the height of COVID. So it's this kind of uh, comedic, absurdist uh, film about this woman who finds herself in this very terrible situation and is uh, confronted by a community that wants to essentially, um, you know, crucify her for um, this, uh, uh, this sex tape that, 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 that is uh, released. And uh, she sort of has to fight for her job uh, uh, going forward, and it all takes place during COVID. Yeah, so mm. interesting. Great, great story. Yeah. Wow, wow, yeah. a lot behind that intriguing title. Right. Um, 
I recognize the title of this next in part because there are a couple of classical music works with the name Undine, mm-hmm. U-N-D-I-N-E, a film from Germany opening on December 1st. Yeah, Christian Petzl, director of this film. And this is another film that kind of defies genre in, a, in, in, in many ways. On one level, it's a romantic uh, comedy. And on another level, it's a, sort of a supernatural film. But it's a kind of a, a take on this old um, <coughs> German um, uh, folk tale about uh, a water nymph, uh, uh, um, but you know, with the, with the name of the uh, same title, uh, uh, Undine, and uh, which which if you're not familiar with the folk tale, it's about a uh, water nymph who uh, basically. Um, has this idea where if, if 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 a man breaks up with her, she must kill him, and so this plays out in in a kind of contemporary context, um, and uh, I won't give any away, but it's a sort of the blending of this folk tale in a contemporary context, uh, you know, uh, sort of implanted in the genre of a romantic comedy, mm. but huge elements of the supernatural, I will say. Right, very good. Uh, a mystery from Denmark comes up a little bit uh, later called Riders of Justice. Yeah, this is a really interesting film uh, from Anders Thomas uh, Jensen, uh, also uh, a kind of genre-bending uh, film um, that is compared to uh, the Coen Brothers. If anybody is uh, familiar with uh, the great uh, Coen Brothers uh, films, um uh, where they they uh, oftentimes sort of blend genres and elements of of uh, drama and comedy and, and uh, very very strange characters and sort of David Lynchian, uh, but yeah, this is a, a somewhat of a murder mystery about a man uh, whose wife um, is killed on a train, but uh, comes to there's actually a survivor of the train <clears throat> who tells the man that there might have been foul play involved, and he basically. Uh, sets out to try to find out, um, you know, uh, how his wife was uh, killed. But, uh, but yeah, what, what I'll say about this film is this this notion of uh, a reference to the Coen Brothers. If anybody who is familiar with with that um, uh, filmmaking team uh, will know right away what to expect here. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I, another timely film coming up, and this one from Britain uh, called Limbo. Uh, a very apt title since this film uh, in, involves the experience of refugees. Yeah, this is this is from uh, Ben Shirak, uh, I think is how you pronounce that. But another kind of, again, I hesitate to call it a comedy because it's a very very serious topic. But there 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 are comedic elements involved. Um, you, you know, comedic elements. If you think Kafka is funny, which I sometimes mm, do, sure, <laughs> but it's funny in a very kind <laughs> of almost brutal way, almost, uh, uh, you know, he, he sort of, you know, he, uh, Kafka in, in his own way, uh, almost, um, uh, you know, beats you over the head with his, with his, <laughs> with his humor. But, uh, yeah, this looks at the, uh, uh, Syrian refugee, uh, crisis and particularly the men, uh, who, uh, have to sort of, uh, live, uh, you know, uh, you know, carry on and live, um, and, and kind of the absurdities that happen 
um, living in hostels, not being able to work, um, being told how to act. And uh, it really, it's kind of an, like, a, uh, like I said, a, sort of an existentialist Kafkaesque look at a sort of a, a crisis of masculinity that happens to a lot of these men who must kind of um, you know, reinvent themselves in a foreign country um, and the difficulties uh, in that and the bureaucratic challenges and the kind of absurdities uh, that, that happen in, in, in trying to figure out uh, how to carry on. Mm-hmm. Well, as someone who's 50% Norwegian, I'm especially interested in the film that opens in early February uh, from, from Norway. Although now I, I can't read my handwriting in terms of the title that I wrote down. Something about the world. The worst person in the world. The worst person in the world, yes. Yeah. And you know, Greg, I didn't realize this, but I'm also 50% Norwegian. Oh, well, no wonder we get along. So. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's 100%, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, really interesting. Another sort of comedic film. This one, uh, this was an Academy Award-nominated film from Norway, Joe Kim Trier. Uh, another kind of romantic comedy. Um, this one really reminds me of Woody Allen, Woody Allen films. Uh, and, and, uh, and it follows a, a, a female prota- protagonist and her um, kind of uh, uh, dating life, uh, I, I will say that, and uh, how she sort of navigates dating in the contemporary world in hmm. Norway. Um, and... Um, uh, kind of the uh, ups and downs and pitfalls of the modern woman uh, as she sort of navigates the perilous uh, world of dating in the contemporary world. Uh, but yeah, I, I will say um, uh, it uh, reminds me a lot of, of particularly Annie Hall, mm. for example. If anybody's familiar with Annie Hall and the different kinds of uh, things that Woody Allen does in that film, short bursts of animation, hmm. um, different kind, sort of breaking the third wall, um, talking about sort of urban dating life. Um, so that's how I would describe that, yeah. Interesting. Very good. Uh, then a film that comes from France that I think, is, from what I can tell, would, would especially appeal to anybody who considers themselves kind of a film connoisseur, and in particular anybody who is familiar with the uh, amazing legacy of Ingmar Bergman. Right, exactly, yeah. And interesting, we just mentioned Woody Allen, because Woody Allen's probably greatest influence was Ingmar Bergman, the great uh, Swedish filmmaker, Seventh Seal, and uh, Scenes from a Marriage, and others. But, yeah, this is is out of uh, France, Mia Hansen Love, director, um, and a very kind of uh, meta look at a film about filmmaking and about the influence, uh, uh, the sort of uh, anxiety of uh, influence. Um, but yeah, looks at a couple uh, who are themselves filmmakers who travel to um, Bergman's home and uh, you know uh, sleep in his. Um, the bed that he used in the great film scenes from a, a, a marriage. It has the popular uh, actor Tim Roth, uh, who is mm. uh, who's in Tarantino's uh, Pulp Fiction. If you're familiar with uh, him as a character, but uh, yeah, sort of looks at uh, yeah meta uh, 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 film about filmmaking, the influence of filmmaking, and really kind of a, a meditation on Ingmar Bergman and and his legacy. Exactly. Very good. Fascinating idea for a film. Uh, then a film that comes from Russia. 
Yeah, this looks, this is uh, Juho Kuosmanen, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and this was uh, short shortlisted for the Academy Award, which premiered at uh, Cannes. Um, and this is an interesting film, kind of a travel film, I would say, or, or almost sort of a buddy, a buddy movie travel uh, narrative about two unlikely uh, characters, one a, a student who is going on a research uh, ex, uh, a, a, a exhibition uh, to look at petroglyphs, which are uh, c carvings, essentially. And um, uh, this uh, character meets up with a kind of uh, uh, a uh, sort of a Russian blue-collar uh, kind of man, and they strike up an unusual uh, friendship um, relationship though uh, nothing sort of romantic about it. But, uh, but yeah, the film, it, you know, it sort of interrogates class uh, and uh, contemporary um, uh, Russia. So uh, interesting in, in that sense, for sure. Very good. And I'm very, very intrigued, exceptionally so, by the film from Spain that will be opening on March 30th, one called Parallel Mothers. Right. This is another one where I don't want to give too much away because there is actually a, a very interesting twist here. But this is from the great Spanish director Pedro Almodovar, um, uh, who um, uh, has won Academy Awards several, at least two in the past. Um, but this this stars the great Penelope Cruz, uh, who most people uh, probably are aware of, has been in lots of American films, um, Vanilla Sky and. Uh, um, another one uh, that uh, took uh, took place in Spain, a Woody Allen film. I can't think of the title right now, but yeah, this looks like looks at Penelope Cruz, who plays a, a woman nearing forty who uh, gets pregnant and decides to have the child and raise it on her own. And um, uh, at the same time, when she's giving birth, there is a uh, much younger woman who is also giving birth. Um, and who is uh, planning to raise the child on um, her own as well. And um, they, they sort of strike up a uh, relationship um, and, uh, and keep in touch. And some very bizarre, strange uh, things happen with regard to their uh, children and their relationship uh, as the film uh, unfolds. But uh, yeah, one, one of the real jewels, I think, in the lineup is, is this one. For, for sure. sure. And I'm really glad that uh, the, the, the final film uh, is a documentary film. And I know from time to time that occurs. And there are wonderful documentary films that are made. And this one from Italy called The Truffle Hunters sounds like uh, something that's great fun and really interesting. Yeah, this is from director Michael Dweck, and this is a, a, another film that is kind of funny in a way, but also sort of bittersweet. And it looks like it looks at the industry of uh, of uh, truffles. Um, and this is the truffles, of course, are the a, a sort of fungi, a delicacy that uh, great chefs around the world uh, um, value and, and, and covet. Um, but they're very rare and hard to find. But there are truffle hunters who make their, they essentially have a career. That's how they um, uh, make their livelihood, hunting these truffles. And uh, they're these, um, in this kind of remote part of the world, they, they, they seek out and find these mushrooms. And they're, um, it covers these the older men who um, 
are are kind of bitter about the industry and how it's changed and how uh, sort of younger hunters uh, use technology and these kinds of things to, to, to hunt uh, their uh, their their truffles but these older uh, these older folks uh, just uh, rely on their own grit and knowledge um, and uh, uh, to find the truffle. So, you know, it's about the generational divide in many ways um, and uh, technology and how the world is changing and how these older uh, truffle hunters are sticking to their older ways. Mm, love it. What a great idea. So there you have it with these 14 films that are uh, that comprise the current season of the foreign film series at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. I know that it's a ridiculous bargain uh, when you buy a season ticket. It covers all of the films. And even though the first film is is already done, is it still possible to buy a season ticket? I mean, because it's still a ridiculous bargain. Absolutely. 30 bucks for 14 films. Now 13, you can certainly go online um, at uh, UWP uh, Foreign Film Series. Um and purchase your season ticket, or you can just come tonight and get an order form, uh, and we'll go ahead and let you in free. And uh, uh, as long as you uh, fill out the order form, at some point <laughs> we'll uh, we'll uh, trust you. But uh, yeah, or uh, um, uh, yeah, you come to the door, we'll get you an order form, uh, or go online and purchase your uh, season ticket, uh, no problem. Very good, and um, I understand that you are also, in a sense, taking donations or contributions to help underwrite uh, the costs of this. Certainly. And over the last two years, boy, we sure took a hit uh, because we uh, you know, provided, well, two years ago in 2020, our whole season was uh, online and we did not charge anything uh, uh, for the films that, you know, that we often pay anywhere from 300 to to $1,000 per film. And then last year... Uh, half of the films were um, also streamed, and half were in the uh, cinema. And so we, yeah, we we took a huge uh, hit financially. So yeah, we would love some uh, some do- donations to get us back on uh, firm financial uh, ground uh, going forward. But uh, nevertheless, we'll keep trucking. Mm. Uh, here's a last question for you. Um, I don't remember from our previous conversations. Uh, where your own love of foreign films comes from. And I'm curious, is this something that dates early on? I mean, way back when you were tearing up the, the, the diamond as a baseball star? is I mean, were you already kind of intrigued by foreign films, or is this something you've come to uh, a little bit later in life and for any particular reason? Yeah, you know, I mean, so I... I my dad is is a, uh, a retired uh, English uh, teacher and um, taught taught high school uh, English for thirty years and then taught at the community college uh, level and so I got into to, to to reading literature and writing at a very early age and just falling in love with stories in general and I never really fully distinguished that much between literature and uh, film. And uh, I, I just am a lover of, of great stories and reading and consuming great stories and telling great stories um, and, 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 and really got into actually filmmaking about two or three uh, years ago as our uh, um, a DMAP uh, digital media and production program. Uh, developed at UW Parkside, I started getting into uh, making films as well. So always been a lover of films, uh, have, have been making some smaller films myself over the last uh, few uh, years, um, and it seemed like a no-brainer 
uh, when uh, Norm um, asked me to help him out. And uh, it really sort of a gift uh, that, that, that he uh, gave me as he uh, re, uh, retired. So, um, yeah, I was, I was thrilled to do it and am thrilled to do it. And I think it's important for us to underscore for uh, anybody who has not ever attended any of these foreign films at Parkside or certainly have not uh, been a uh, season season ticket holder that uh, this involves a, a different kind of experience than what so many people increasingly do, which is sit at home in the privacy of their living room and click through this and click through that. I mean, there is a, it's a very different experience to go to a cinema with other people and sit there and experience a film together. And I think that's especially true with the foreign film series because it is, in a sense, a, a community of film lovers, many of whom you know, show up again and again and again. And so you will see a lot of familiar faces and really enjoy a very special sense of community that... You know, it's probably even more so than the typical trip you take, uh, you know, to the local cinema. Absolutely. I couldn't uh, uh, agree more. I think that there is uh, a very special collective experience that only happens in films uh, that you are watching with uh, a community of people you know and strangers. Um, and, yeah, particularly in relation to watching a foreign film, which by definition is probably telling a story that uh, – that that is that is new to you, or at least depicting people um, uh, with whom you are not familiar. Um, so it's it's a wonderful experience to touch base uh, with other cultures, other people, get you out of the house, broaden your horizons, um, uh, and really and really sort of make you a, a more well-rounded, um, a, a culturally aware person. Very well said. So we hope that uh, if you are intrigued by anything that you've heard today, that you will further explore uh, the foreign film series at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, or better yet, subscribe. And you can go to uwp.edu, type foreign film series into the search bar, and uh, you can revisit the whole series of films, which again began screaming last week with Drive My Car and uh, all the rest of the films uh, screen now through the middle of April with Minari from Korea, uh, filming a, a screening tonight, tomorrow, and the re- or over the re- rest of the weekend. And Dr. Joseph Benson uh, at the helm, coordinating the foreign film series this year. Professor Benson, great to talk with you today on The Morning Show. Thank you for making time for this conversation, and best wishes as you go forward to coordinating a film f- a series in, in, in future years. Thank you. Always great to be here.